Give me two of those. She's just in there as if I'm shooting free throws. I only want to buy shoes, especially in them white and blues. Sound nice. Make it twice. And then I'm real nice. I just know how I do. Pickle! Pickle, we got Pelotero. Pickle. Pickle! Turn myself into a pickle, Morty! I'm Pickle Rick! <laughs> Episode two. Topic number one. 3 0 pitch controversy. I had made a video with Scott this last week about it. We got a whole bunch of kind of subtopics here. So, number one, do you swing 3 0 when your team is up a lot? Zach Davies had an answer saying uh, there's different opinions. If you're in your his opinion, make sure your 3-0 pitch is a little bit better. We got Fernando Tatis Jr. apologizing. We got co-founder Brian saying you'll like it play better. And then uh, Trevor Bauer's response, trying to be like baseball dad, teaching people what to do. So a uh, lot to unpack here. Uh, I'll stand by my previous comments on it that if the other if, if you're still running defensive shifts if you still get your starters out there um that homer that 3-0 homer grand slam was the nail in the coffin so i think after that homer you kind of lay down a little bit and stop you know get your foot off the gas but i don't have a problem with it you got one of your best relievers in the game don't load the bases don't groove a 3-0 pitch like sorry hit a homer my silence is relatively telling. So the whole concept behind all of this, right? The whole thing, everybody keeps talking about these unwritten rules. There's no such thing as an unwritten rule. Like it's not even a thing, right? Like, you know, unwritten rules. The reality of it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, if you swung at a 3-0 pitch up five in the seventh, eighth, or ninth, the next guy was getting one in the ribs, then probably the guy after that, and then probably the guy after that, until it came back to your turn and you ate crow enough from your teammates for them getting dotted. So the whole premise was there's no rule about when you can swing and when you can't. The difference was that for 120 years, baseball policed itself, Right. If you were on the other team and you didn't like what the other guys did, somebody was eating one, dude. And that's just the reality of it. Like what I was explaining to Patrick the other day is whether I have a problem with it or not has nothing to do with the grand scheme of things. It just has, it, it's literally not at the end of the day. Oh, everybody's just trying to throw their two cents in. Oh, if you don't like it, play better. Oh, if you should have thrown a better three Oh pitch. Oh, it's cool that he swung. Oh, it's not cool that he swung. It has nothing to do with anybody's opinion over the course of time. And the reason I'm telling you right now why Tatis ended up apologizing because the older veteran players on his team went up to him like, bro, you can't do that. 
general rule of thumb from a guy who's played at a high level, not saying I know everything, up by five, seventh inning or later, shut everything down. Like you're, you know, people are saying, oh, well, if you're putting on a shift, like, dude, if somebody's putting on a shift, like that's just how they play you all the time. So like, whatever, like that's not making it any easier or harder to get hit if you can hit. And I'm going to get, I got relatively pissed off the other day because everybody's like, oh, well, the definitions of respect and all this crap, like, dude, if you're like, nobody's putting themselves in the situation of like game 57 of the year, it's the seventh inning, the innings are grinding on. And from my point of view, and I'm not saying Fernando Tatis is a selfish dude, but like, if you're swinging there, you're worried about you. And people can make the argument that says, Oh, if you're worried about you, you're worried about the team. Like, that's great, dude somebody's going to get one thrown behind them like Machado did. And I think behind you is not a good enough, like, Hey, I'm not happy with what you did. So there's 120 years of tradition that exists, like leading up to now 150 years of tradition, whatever you want to call it. Baseball was 18, whatever. I don't even know. So if we're just going to take all that tradition and throw it out the window, because we're redefining what respect is and over the course of time, like then you're literally throwing away the tradition of the game. And that's fine. Like the rules say what they say, and now you can do whatever you want. But I'll tell you what, if I was on Tatis's team, I probably would have let him know, like he shouldn't have done that. If I was on the Rangers team, I probably would have been pretty pissed off that he did it. So like the only two people that really matter or the only two groups of people that matter are the Rangers and the Padres and everybody else can take their opinion and go shove it up. Somebody's, you know what I'm done. I don't want to talk about it anymore. Yeah. I just, my, my two cents, my little add on there is the game is so different now, the way bullpens work, you know, historically you got starters out there much longer. You don't have specialty pitchers coming in every, every other batter match up this match up that. So the, the game is different now from so many different perspectives. Seven runs that late in the game. If you've never played a long season like that, if you don't understand bullpens, if you don't understand like wear and tear on the season, there, there's a lot of consideration there that most people on Twitter have no perspective on. Not zero. And everybody wants to talk about it like the individual moment itself or swinging on 3 is fine, never apologize. Like, dude, like you, you have no, like no people have no idea. And there's like, look, if somebody had just made the argument to me that it's a shorter season and you got to like ensure you're going to get your wins, but that's not, that wasn't the premise behind why the swing happened. The premise behind why the swing happened is because he was trying to do damage, which is cool, dude. You're like, you're a great player. Swagosaurus Rex, like you wear your pants different and like you wear your helm, like, you know, it, all that stuff. Like, and I'm not taking away from his skill set or his talent. He's young and he, he's been around the game. Like his dad was a long time big leaguer. So like, I think there are things that he kind of knows there. And he, you know, in his interviews, like, I didn't know why people were upset and I'll buy it. Like you're young. Uh, but this is part of like, I think what's happening in the game is there's less veterans in the game who are, when guys were coming up for a long, long time, the veterans were the ones that, that drove the narrative. Right. The veterans were the ones that shaped the culture. Love that or hate that. Like, 
young people are just allowed to have more of an opinion now, which for a long time was not the case. And no offense to young people, like, cause I'm still relatively young and I was young for a long time and I will be young for a long time the way I think. And, cause I'm not saying I'm like the old wise dude, but like the most valuable lessons that you can learn in life are from wisdom are from older people, older generations, because they've lived the things that, you know, you're about to live. And I think the biggest problem in today's society is our young people don't do a very good job of listening to their older, wiser people. And again, I'm not saying I'm one of those. I'm very, I'm still, I'll still consider myself on the young end, even though I got this great crap on my face. We're getting pretty old, man. We're getting old. Uh, no, I mean, I, I'll definitely, I, I feel like I should defer to you and I will defer to you for most of these opinions because you have way more experience than I do um, across all levels of baseball. I did play more division one baseball games than you, that's but true. you have way more of those than me, way more D one baseball games than you, you but that's about it. More than me. you have more homers, you have more hits, you have more at bats. You've been in different clubhouses. So yeah. Yeah. I know you like that. Uh, oh. The Chicago white Sox are young and exciting. They got some young dudes that can just swing it. Super, super talented. Uh, Four homers in a row. It's pretty good. I remember the Red Sox did that back in the day. Just it, It's such a rare thing to have four in a row. Um, what what are we going to expect from this White Sox team? Are they going to make a, a playoff push here? Are they, are they for real? What's, it's, a, it's a random thing, but these guys are pretty talented. Yeah, I think they're good at baseball. They just got a bunch of guys that are good at baseball. And I really don't – to say that they're young is, I think, just kind of a misconception. Uh, Jose Abreu is not young. Edwin Carnacion is not young. Yasmani Grandal is not young. Uh, at this point, Yohan Moncada is not young anymore either because he's been in the league for the better part of probably five years. Um, to say that they're exciting is cool. I think it's a – they're pretty deep. Um, and I think when you say, like – Eloy Jimenez and or Eloy Jimenez, sorry, and Luis Luis Robert are young, um, and Moncada's young age wise, and Anderson's kind of young. But uh, Luis Robert's probably like my favorite moves in the big leagues right now, if I had to say. I think I saw, my- I saw a video of Robert swing the other day. He's got like a little puig early. But it's way tighter than so much better. Yeah, the first, I, first time I saw him. Saw, so real quick, Robert is uh, twenty three. Jimenez is twenty three. Moncado's twenty five. Tim Anderson twenty seven. Yeah, Madrigal. He's out though. Madrigal's probably twenty four. I think they're a pretty young team. They're pretty talented. They got a lot of like good vibes about them. That's that's my takeaway. Seems like they're having fun in the dugout. Um, they have that veteran guy in Abreu. I think Abreu wasn't – they were they're talking about, like, not bringing him back for a little like, bit. And Abreu's like, this is where I want to be. He's like the – he's a glue guy, man. He, and he's about as solid – like, he's about as solid a producer as you could find. Like, it's – I mean, I would venture to say if you go look at his last – because his first year in the big leagues was 2014, right? 2014, eight, 27. His yeah. uh his one sixty two average is two ninety four with thirty three homers thirty nine doubles, hundred eleven RBI, 
his uh, walk to strikeout ratio is about one to four. I would say he hasn't, the bats. he hasn't hit. I'm this is I'm straight guessing. He hasn't hit under 275 and he probably hasn't hit over 315. He's been in between that in range. In 2018, he hit 265. Uh, only 128 games. So I don't know if he was injured that season or, or what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, his high batting average was 317. He's hitting 322 right now. Yeah, he's a, what's, the, what's the Getty? What's the Getty uh, plus yeah, or minus? There's a 30-point range on each side of it. So if you're a 300 hitter, you're, you can hit 330. You can hit 270. Like, you're going to be in that 60-point window. Like, whatever your career batting average is, realistically, you're in a 60-point window. And he's at 294 career down to 265, up to 320. So That's right. That literally couldn't be more yeah. often in terms of a descriptor. And and yeah. But that, to me, that, like, defines guys that are consistent, right, that, that don't get affected by the sways and ups and downs of the game. Because in the year that you hit 265 or 275, like, you feel lost. And this is what's relative to the player, right, where – if you're used to hitting like 280, 290, and this isn't even a topic, but I think it's worth talking about. If you're used to being a guy who hits 260, 270, 280, you know, when you're hitting 250, you're, you're okay. When you're hitting 240, you're like, ah. Eh. When you're hitting 230, you feel like you suck. Now think about a guy that is used to hitting 300 or used to hitting 310, and now he's hitting 250. That guy's having a meltdown. Like I used to hear stories about Wade Boggs being 0 for 12, just straight losing his mind. Like, oh my God, like panic. Like, and I get it. Like I've I've been there. So that 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 whole dynamic is relative to who you normally are and how you deal with those emotions that come with it. But interesting. Uh, let's see. His uh, the lowest batting average season was his lowest batting average balls in play. Weird. Uh, let me get to hard hit contact. His hard hit contact rate was not a career low in that same season. So you could chalk it up to being unlucky. Line drive percentage was higher than his career average. Um, ground balls, fly balls were like right on. Yeah. He, uh, he went oppo the least that year. Lowest batting average, oppo weird. least. That's weird. That's I've weird. never talked about correlation to go hitting the ball the opposite field, the batting average and the ability to get hit. I don't think I've ever said that out loud. It's, uh, it's pretty funny how when you – when you hit the ball opposite field, it's almost like you're you're not even sacrificing your numbers. You're it, it's such a process oriented thing to generate results long term. So if you sell out to pull side all the time, you're creating holes and you're creating you're creating these massive holes in your game just by not like taking your medicine. The dynamic, the dynamic that you create by allowing yourself to just have thought process about hitting the ball the other way and getting through the baseball. And it's, it doesn't have to be a paradigm shift from, Oh my God, I'm, I'm pool, I'm a pool guy. And now I have to just try to start feeling my way to opposite field. That's not it at all, but just the idea and the concepts behind understanding the value of the opposite field gap and understanding when the moments are to pick your spots and, and let the ball get deep and let the ball travel and really work to get through baseballs come hell or high water, whether it's inside, middle, outside, with two strikes and situations where the game's asking you for it. And, and the, the reason why it's so valuable, right, and I think this is the part that everybody misses, when you scratch out your bleeder, 
float one over the second baseman's head, a little duck fart over the first baseman's head. Those exist to the opposite field because those misses are back, jammed, whatever, right? When you hit the ball the opposite field, you're never like out front, like, you know, reaching out there. Those balls all turn into ground outs to third base and shortstop. The difference between the way you feel starting a game one for one or one for two and zero for one and zero for two is monumental. And anybody that's in denial of that is full. I'm going to tell you that right now. So anyway, the point I have is what the ability to get those hits does then it wholeheartedly affects your impact on getting hits later in the game, whether they're to the pull side or the middle or the up, whatever, it doesn't matter because being one for one allows you that freedom to do better later. Comes back to the old confident guy, not confident guy. You're one for one. You're feeling good. You're looser. You're more relaxed. You, you're seeing the ball better. You're not tight. You're not. You do. It's hard to listen now. I'm sorry. Next, uh, next topic, and I'll lead off on this topic. Yeah. Manny Machado. Did you see this clip? Manny Machado catches the ball. I believe it was uh, Joey Gallo that hit it. Yeah, Joey Gallo hit a ball down the right field line. Uh, I'm watching it live here. It gets maybe probably a little jammed. The right fielder is like, I don't even know where he is. He's, it's a fly ball down the right field line. I believe it would have been a fair ball. Um, Manny Machado, third baseman, catches it about 300 feet away down the right field line. This is such an extreme example of the shift. Um, so many people that are like batting averages, you know, when they do like the crazy font, like caps, no caps. Like, Ooh, batting averages down. Uh, Manny Machado making a play down the right field line 300 feet away is crazy. Uh, we used to play a game in Nashua called Best Game Ever, where the defense, we'd have four outfielders, and your job was you had to hit the ball to the outfield grass. If it hit the outfield grass in the air, you got a point. If it was caught or if it didn't get to the outfield in the air, it was an out. You got um, three, three outs per time of bat. And it was really fun because you could – the defense could do whatever they wanted. There's no formal, no formal rules on where you had to play. There was no instructions. It was just read the hitter understand who's hitting and play. So like, why doesn't Gallo just take his base hits to left? Yeah. What, how many times, here's a question. How many times would Gallo need to hit a base hit to the left side before the shift got taken away? That's the question. How many times would that need to happen? Like guys are, Oh, I don't like the shift. Then get a hit again through that shift. And then people will make the argument, well, you know, you know it's taken away from my ability to hit homers. No. But that will go, again, case in point to the argument we just made. is like if you're one for one to start a game. And, oh, by the way, if they have a shift on like that, you can bunt for a double just without – like very easily bunt for a double. So if the idea is to get on second base, like you don't have to hit it to the moon to do that. And people that want to make the OPS and slugging percentage argument. Robinson Cano bunted for a double at Fenway Park 15 years ago or 10 years ago or whatever it was. It's not hard. Literally just push bunt hard, like down the third base. And it wouldn't, I mean, I guess it wouldn't be called that. Yeah. Do you think there should ever be a, a point in time in this game where, where shifts are limited or restricted? No. What if, so if offense, 
it's weird because offense is like it's down in terms of batting average, but not down in terms of runs scored per game. Not significantly. It's I think runs scored per game is similar, but the the brand of baseball I think is not great right now in terms of like ball being put in play. Say again. Nobody's actually playing baseball. He's playing home run derby. Yeah. So, like, should when baseball was invented, there were there weren't rules in place about like where guys can stand and the the metrics that are generated now, the data that's generated now, it says that that's the right thing to do. Like the statistics of the game say this is right in terms of run prevention, but in terms of like spirit of the game and what we're trying to act like what is happening it's all predictive analysis the problem with predictive analysis is it doesn't take into consideration the fact that somebody can counter your predictive analysis and the problem with the game is nobody's trying to counter the other dude like we you and i've talked about this a thousand times over like competitive advantage get built gets built when you're doing something nobody else is right when everybody's doing the same stuff there's no competitive advantage so yeah you know what every team that's getting shifted against should do is go bunt for a double like every hitter in the lineup should do it and if nobody's playing small ball like another team should just be like oh we're gonna start playing small ball because the predictive analysis works based off of like past tendencies and past performance based on things that were actually going on, right? But if you offset all those things, and the argument behind a shift is, okay, why are we playing a shift? Well, this guy has a tendency to hit the ball here at this rate or this percentage, and when he hits it on the ground, he does this. Go change the narrative, bro, so that they can't shift you. Like, I hate baseball right now because nobody's making adjustments. Nobody's making any adjustments. They're just like, oh, this is who the guy is, and like, this is why he's valuable. What? Go make an adjustment, bro. Like, if they're playing 17 people on the right side of the field, hit the ball to the left. It's not that hard. People that are telling you that it's hard, it, it's not that hard. Like, it's way easier to take an OO fastball out over the plate where they're trying to throw it anyway, because if they have 17 people on the right side of the field, they're not throwing you fastballs uh, like – middle in like they're throwing you balls like out over the plate because they know you pulled the ball with authority so like you're going to get a, a cookie out over the plate just flip it over there a few times and see what happens because now you can get them to to go do what you want them to do so that you can go back to what you're good at doing it's not that hard guys like i don't know why people keep telling me it's hard that like, you're a professional hitter just go hit a ground ball to second base or go bunt the ball. Like, go bunt it to third. Like, if you suck at it, go practice it. Like, how is that hard? I completely agree with you. I'm trying to do the counterpoint for the sake of discussion here, but I completely agree with you. It's This is like the whole play the game argument. Like, play the game. If you don't change and play into the predictive analysis, what what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Like, hey, this guy pulls the ball in the hole in the five hole every single time, so we're gonna stick a guy there. Don't pull a ball in the five hole. Don't was, do the same thing that causes the result that they expect you to do. I'm gonna shout out Joey Cunha here and throw him under the bus a little bit. Like you, you replied to his tweet. He Mike, Mike Trout struck out on three pitches to Kenley Jensen that were all at the top of the zone. He's like, man, Trout's really sticking to his approach. Like, good for him, bro. 
the point of baseball is to try to score more points than the other team. Like in order to do that, you need, like that's what winning is called, right? Like you need to get on base and you need to move runners over and want the guy needs to go from home plate all the way around the bases, come back and touch home plate. If, if you take three strikes just cause they're not in your zone, like I ain't about that life, dude. Like we're trying to win here. Like we're squad's trying to get it done. Like, and you're just going to, like, you're taking, like, how about, like, just tomahawk that sun gun, like, down straight into the ground if you need to. Like, put a ball in play. Like, make something happen, bro. Yeah, I, I had to call Joey out on that one. Like, I get it. Take I, <laughs> like, Trout probably thought those pitches were balls. The, like, they were all strikes by, like, at least a full baseball. But that's okay. Like, you can't stand there if the tying run is on second with two outs for three pitches. Like, you can't do it, dude. Like, that ain't okay. What are we talking about? Like, oh, man, like, really sticking to his guns there. Really, you know, stayed his approach. What? You just lost. You lost. What are we talking about? Like, what Like what are we talking? I don't even know. Like, I feel like I'm in the twilight zone 80% of the time that I'm alive. <laughs> next topic david fletcher uh crazy pitch selection there's a one-two pitch pitch is like literally over his head literally literally over his head there's literally nothing in this world that you cannot do this is like the counterpoint to what you were just talking about this is a dude that's figuring out how to get it done funny that he's on trout's team the i mean this pitch is way up high puts it in play gets a hit not super repeatable. Maybe for him it is. Um, people are making a huge deal about this. I don't necessarily think that it deserves like a big deal. Like, okay, so he's probably protecting his, protecting his fastball up. He saw a fastball up. He was mentally prepared for it, so he swung and he hit it. Yeah. Next. I don't – so people like thought this was awesome. I guess it's, to, me, to me, this is just baseball. Yeah. He played baseball. That, Joe Madden had a quote about Fletcher the other day that was like something like he's what a baseball player is supposed to look like, which is really cool that there are still people that actually like acknowledge and recognize that like baseball players got a baseball and not just like metric or athlete. It's like um, a video game. Build your own athlete now. Yeah, I mean, Fletcher is impressive because, like, you put him in – like, he's the guy that, like, defines what the jack-of-all-trades, be able to put it in any position, was supposed to be like. Because he goes to shortstop and he makes – he'll make some elite plays at shortstop. Then he can go to third and make really good plays at third. And he can go to second and make really good plays at second. So he has the, the capability of doing all those things well. And not to mention, he's going to hit 300 and get on base at probably a 360, 370, 380 clip, whatever it is. Never going to hit the ball out of the ballpark, but that's a championship player, bro. That is what championships are built around. Because that dude is going to do whatever it takes to win on any given night, period. End of story. There's no counter argument. Where there's no, like, hey, this metric this. Like, no, that dude is going to figure out how to beat you every night. He's winning pork chop tests against people day in and day out. Period. Pork chop test. What's the pork chop test? The pork chop test. And I, when I, Kevin Pilar was my teammate in Toronto, obviously. And Kevin, Kevin's a pork chop guy too. 
not like he likes pork chops. He's a pork chop test winner. So I asked our, our GM at the time, I said, so what, you know, finally convinced you to go with KP? Cause like there had been so much talk about, you know, other guys or whatever. And he goes, I just re finally realized like he would win the pork chop test. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like you, you, he would have a cooking show like that he would win at. And that's why you're going to play him in center field. Like, I don't get it. And he was like, no, if you put two dudes in a room, if you put two dogs in a room, like they're going to go after a pork chop, right? Like, like they're going to go after it, like figure out who's going to win it. Put two humans in a room, have the same contest. Who's going to win that pork chop test? It's like, I got Pilar winning that pork chop test against the other guy. I said, I got him winning it against most guys. I understand. And so, like, David Fletcher is going to win pork chop tests. And not to mention, he's probably, like, a really good dude. And he's probably, like, like if you listen to the way he speaks and to very humble, like, he's a great – he's going to be a great teammate. And because he's a great teammate and also a really good player, i.e. championship players, like, those are the guys that define teams that can – create championship atmosphere does that mean they're gonna win the world series probably not but like i'll tell you what i take 25 of those guys and go take my chances with them uh, last topic you're gonna have to help me out on this one because i have no context sean o'malley that's exactly what i said to patrick i was like i know he's not gonna know yeah who is sean o'malley and why is he is he a good loser i don't you got to explain the situation to me the All quote right. is the quote is I'm going to be a world champion. He's going to be a journeyman. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what that means. And the con I just got this guy with like yellow dreads and uh, not even dreads. Is he yellow? So, Sean O'Malley has been around for a little while. Um, he basically like, he's this really like intriguing fighter, ton of personality. He wears his hair about as ridiculous as he can. Uh, but really good fighter. Like he's got some tools, like there's weapons in the tank there. You know what I mean? And he's crafty and clever and just a good fighter. So he's had some injury problems plaguing him the last two years, which haven't really allowed him to make this run up the UFC ladder. And he's coming back. He's like on his comeback tour, had like a huge win a few months ago. And now he's fighting a dude that he realistically, like the beginning of the fight was telling you like he was going to win this fight too. And in the middle of the fight, like, like just basically his ankle just went like completely wrenched. And it was one of the entry and he kept trying to fight. Right. But now you're literally fighting on one leg and you could see it. And the other dude finally, like, you know, he wins the fight. He just gets him. So, um, you know, at this point, like, as a fan, you wanted to see the fight go differently. Right. Like you're just like, man, that kind of sucks. And O'Malley then came out and proceeded to say what he said. Um, so that's kind of, is that a sore loser thing to do or not? Um, I don't know. I just got reminded as you were talking about that. So the whole concept of if you're going to talk trash after a fight, make it more about yourself yeah. and less about the other guy. Because pretty disrespectful to talk trash about a guy who you just lost to. Um, that might be what he believes, but. It's like a hitter being like, man, this pitcher sucks. And you're over. Yeah, after you struck out three times. Um, hey, remember when we played golf with Stroman? And he he was so funny when he would chirp you because he would say something positive to you after a after a bad shot and something negative to you after a, a good shot. I can't remember. <laughs> he 
I remember you like tried to hit a three wood from like 350 yards out and you top it. You'd be like, yo, that was a good swing though. <laughs> and, then, and then he, and then he would proceed to hit the only good three wood of his life in that moment in time. And I, there were so many times that I'd be like, am I chalking this up to like, he's just literally doing it. It's like happening by coincidence that he's hitting a really good shot with the club that I just messed up or like, is there something to this where he wants to like win that? you know, we'll try to win that moment because he knows like he's not going to score better than you. I don't, I don't, I mean, there's some to it, I guess. Yeah. There's, there's, I would say some emotional intelligence in that and an ability to pick spots to, to kind of poke fun at somebody in a lighthearted way versus just straight up talking trash and trying to demean somebody. There's time and place for both. I know that much. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you need to say your piece, but. Um, yeah, I think if calling somebody else a journeyman, like put up, like do it. Don't just don't. This is the time where the whole, if you don't like it, play better conversation can come into play. I want to know about this guy. He's got some crazy hair, a lot of tattoos. We're in post-show territory now. So what do we got? Start one, bench one, cut one. Juan Soto, Fernando Tatis, and Luis Robert. Wow, I'm cutting, I'm cutting Robert. I don't even know what position he plays, so he's out. He's a center fielder that's 6'4 and 230 pounds and runs like the wind and, has, and has the best swing in baseball, according to your other question, by the way. That's my favorite swing in baseball right now. Um, he's cut. I'm cutting him. I'm probably keeping Fernando Tatis Jr. No, you have to either start one or bench one. Uh, you I'm have starting to him. You're starting. starting you're starting Mattis over Juan Soto. Yep. Dude, Juan Soto might be my favorite player. Current, other and, than myself. And you can go ahead and start him. I, it's hard he's, to start an outfielder over. Stats. He's, so Tatis is a is a shortstop, right? Hits for average, has 12 homers, in 100. He's one homer per 10 at bats. Juan Soto he, just came back. He has six bags. Um, is he younger? Is Soto younger? Is this like a like a keeper league situation? What yeah, was the context? I'm taking I'm taking Tatis Jr. He's uh, he's electric. Soto's probably more steady. Um, Robert, he's probably the best hitter in baseball right now. Juan Soto, he's good, um, but I think Tatis is. If you look up like. They, they showed a graphic of Trout versus Tatis, and Tatis is, like, better in the category through his first, whatever, 100 Juan games Soto. or something. But. Juan Soto. I'm going to call him Juan, too. Soto's really good. Robert's really good. It's a tough one, but I'm starting Tatis. I'm benching Soto, and I'm cutting. You definitely – in this game, you definitely have to cut Robert because you just have less. That, that answer might change in 500 bats. Yeah, you have to just have less information. You know what's funny about that game is I think no matter what three players you ever put me in the conversation with, I would always be the guy that got cut. Like, <laughs> like you know, you know, David Eckstein, uh, Jamie Carroll, Chris Calabello, you're still cutting me, like, even though, like, I'm taller than those guys. Like, is there ever a moment where you're, you're starting me? Like, no, you're, you're, there's never even a moment where you're benching me. If you're like uh, – you know, it'd have to be like a guy that got four minutes in the big leagues and you'd be like, all right, just because I don't recognize that guy's name. 
you know, I'd probably pick Balboa. We need a uh, start bench cut with like guys with less than a thousand at bats in the big leagues. Make me two separate players. Make me the outfielder Chris Colombello and make me the first baseman DH. Outfielder Colombello is cut. I don't even need to see the rest of the list. You're not a good outfielder. I mean, there's no denying that. Like, I'm not like I'm not like trying to fake it and be like, oh yeah, I'm good at the outfield. Like, the hard part about being good at the outfield is like, if you never get to play there in practice, then like it's hard to go into a game and be like, oh my god, there's 14 decks of stadium and backdrop and roofs and guys cut the ball and they slice it and this guy hits knuckleballs. Like, if you don't practice that stuff, I think outfield is tremendously harder than most people realize. When you got like slicing balls, you got balls that'll just carry on you. It's tough to read off the bat quality, like contact quality sometimes. Those, those lights at those stadiums are pretty bright. I think that wraps it up. Pickle episode number two, Pelotero Pickle, it's a wrap.